What is up, people, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. It is our NBA Playoff Preview Show this week. So, of course, with the NBA Playoffs upon us, I'm really excited to talk hoops, as we always are on this show. So, we'll be breaking down all the top matchups, all the big matchups in the playoffs. We'll be breaking down each series. We'll be giving you guys our picks for the first round and, of course, who we think will end up uh, winning the NBA championship when it's all said and done. Also on today's show, chaos in Los Angeles with Magic Johnson abruptly ending his time as the president of the Los Angeles Lakers. He stepped down from his position at basketball operations with that team this week in what could only be described as bizarre fashion. We'll break that down uh, in just a few minutes. And not to be lost in the shuffle, uh, uh, Virginia actually did find a way to win the national championship this weekend. Uh, I, I said actually, which came out kind of uh, by accident, but I said that because it's been a funny thing back and forth regarding um, a lot of people saying that they didn't want to see Virginia in the national championship. Uh, Ty Jerome was having fun with Stephen A. Smith, who I guess was you know, making about talking about how their their style their style play is boring. I've seen old clips of Mike Francesa saying they'll never win a championship with that style. I'm sure if you go back to this podcast, I don't think we ever say anything that crazy, but I'm pretty sure we've talked about how uh, Virginia and the way they play would be hurt, be costly for them in March, year in and year out. That did not happen this year. They beat Texas Tech in what was not a boring game. It, it was a, it was a pretty it was a pretty uh, exciting game, especially the second half. So they definitely raised expectations, uh, went well beyond expectations that were set, which were really low for that game. The ratings weren't so great, but I think people who tuned in saw a pretty decent basketball game. So all that. Plus, uh, we'll do who's playing who's trash at the end of the show. We will not have a Kendall's court because joining me today is not Kendall. He's uh, he's busy this week, but I have a special guest. You'll be hearing him uh, on Sundays for the Throne Tales podcast, which is our Game of Thrones podcast where we break down each episode of Game of Thrones. That starts this Sunday, but bringing him in early this week is my good friend Martin Torres. Martin, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Uh, uh, what do you got to say about the end of the regular season and, and the playoffs coming? Well, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad I, you know, I'm always here to pinch hit and glad I could fill in for Kendall. Really looking forward to it. And, you know, I'm really glad we could have this conversation today because with the end of the season ended in a, on, a, on a high note with uh, Dwayne Wade and mm-hmm. Dirk and all this playoff scenes. And then, of course, somehow uh, it's all about Magic Johnson, which is uh, – which was one of the most incredible media spectacles I've seen for something so innocuous like a resignation um, <laughs> without, without controversy or scandal. But uh, it wouldn't be magic if he didn't have a mic in front of him and uh, smiling and hamming it up for the camera. So I, <laughs> I tell you what, man, I, I, it's funny. You say it became about magic despite what was, I would say, one of the – best second to last nights of the NBA I've ever seen. Uh, I know that's a very specific uh, title, but considering Wade's uh, Wade's uh, retirement in his last game in Miami, Dirk announcing his retirement in Dallas, Jamal Crawford in that very same game, Dirk announced his retirement, scoring 50 points, oldest guy scored 50, only guy in NBA history to do it on four different teams. Um, and then Paul George had a wild game winner against Houston. I mean, that was... Uh, one of the best nights in the association we had all year, and for it to come this late in the season with various, with, with multiple uh, events happening at night that had nothing to do with the playoffs. I mean, the only 
one of those events that had playoff implications, including with Magic Johnson, was Paul George's three. Everything else was all just outside, just love of the game or crazy spectacle kind of stuff, and it made for a, a wild night in the NBA. So, um, and when when it, things become about Magic, eventually they go back to LeBron, and that became the conversation about the Lakers as well. So let's start right there. So Magic Johnson, he's out as Lakers president. Uh, like I said earlier, it's really it, it was really one of the more surreal things I, I've ever seen covering the NBA or watching the NBA. I'm on social media at night, and basically we had just these these tweets talking about Magic Johnson's holding this random gaggle talking about how how difficult it's been being the Lakers president. And as the the situation kept going on, you start seeing saying, oh, Magic just stepped down. Oh, Magic just said that he wants to go back to NBA Twitter. Oh, Magic just said that <laughs> he didn't want to fire Luke to hurt Genie. I mean, it was like the craziest thing imaginable. And then they told they said he didn't tell Genie that he was actually stepping down and that the only way he can get it done and that he had the heart to do it was to do it in this manner. None of it made any sense. It still doesn't make any sense today, which has had people kind of all the top basketball writers, reporters, people on the inside trying to figure out exactly what's happened. Apparently, LeBron was shocked. Genie was shocked. Luke was shocked. Everyone was shocked in the situation. Magic apparently really did not give any indication before he did that random press gaggle that this was going to be coming uh, uh, with his resignation. Since the days after that resignation, we've heard a little bit more about maybe what, why it happened the way it did um, and why he is stepping down so randomly. Um, we've heard all season about the potential friction between him and Rob Palenka. Now some rumors coming out that perhaps Jeannie was very much opposed to him moving on from Rob Palenka, even though she had already okayed him uh, firing Luke Walton, which was something that she actually did not want him to do earlier in the season. Um, we've heard back and forth all season about Palenka, you know, or people within the Lake organization talking about Magic not really being very present with the organization. Uh, Torres, this has been a complete mess. Uh, where do you think the Lakers go from here? It's interesting uh, that you mentioned where they're going from here because I think they've been directionless. And as much as we talk about uh, Palinka and, and Jeannie Buss and all that, the connections that go with, with Magic, it's, it's real important to recognize that Magic wasn't fully vested. He never was, and um, you could tell that from the be- from the beginning because he is a man who is about image. He is a man who is obsessed with um, with fame and notoriety and praise. I- and I I say that as a man who loves Magic Johnson, what he does in the community, what he's meant yeah. for basketball, what he does as a businessman. But you know. He's prime time. He's smiling in front of the camera, and he does what he wants. So once you hitch yourself to Magic Johnson, you're hitched yourself to the notoriety that comes with him, not the work ethic. And a lot of these pieces have come out, especially over the last few weeks, um, excuse me, last few days, about how he pretty much quits stuff when he doesn't have fun anymore. Mm-hmm. They talked about his talk show. They talked about him when he was a coach. Uh, Bill Simmons talked about it on when he quit NBA Countdown. 
I know you and I had that conversation where it's yeah. like he just it's a week before the season. Yeah. And he's he likes the fun of things. He likes the fame. He likes the attention. That's why he's Showtime. And they should have known that going in better than anybody. The Lakers brand is the biggest brand in basketball, one of the biggest in the world. They didn't get that from being being famous. They got it from being good at being at basketball and having some of the greatest talent and some of the greatest personalities and supporting them. Yeah. You know, so where they go from here, E, they need to hire someone who actually wants to do the job, who wants to be watching the you think Magic watching the first round of the NCAA tournament? Mm. You think he's really paying attention at Summer League or going to talk to the G League affiliate to see who they could add besides the name? No. He he's been and you could tell by what he said in that last press conference. He didn't want to do the stuff he was uncomfortable with. I mean, even the Luke Walton stuff and disrespecting Genie, everything became personal. There's no business ties to that. Yeah. And when you add that to the fact that Rob Palinka, who was one of the most notorious agents in all of basketball, one of the biggest trash, um, biggest trash talkers in a way in a boardroom, they they have someone who a lot of the league does not like in Rob Palinka. Yeah. Because of his underhandedness. They have Magic who kind of half asses it <laughs> and kind of does the stuff that looks cool, like, yo, let me talk to LeBron, like, oh, let me have a meeting, I'll we'll work out. We could I could tell you the stories, I could show you the jump hook. Like, that's awesome and all. Like, I would love if that happened to me. But it's also like those moments where you're just like, you know, what are the best ways to utilize LeBron's talents? How do we develop Lonzo Ball besides just telling him to be more like me? Right. Brandon Ingram kind of overlaps a little bit with LeBron in terms of play style, in yeah. terms of what he wants. How do we fix that? That's not what that's not what Magic does. And that's why these past few years have been some of the worst in the Laker organization. Yeah. When when after the twenty eleven no excuse me, the the in the twenty eleven playoffs, after they won the title, where Andrew Bynum destroys JJ Barea, like he's Samoa yeah. like like Andrew Bynum Samoa Joe and JJ Barea's <laughs> right stereo. He after that it all fell apart because it the focus wasn't on developing a good basketball team. It was about the idea of the Laker brand. It's like we have to keep Kobe yeah. because Kobe is Lakers. And then yeah. they just do that and pacify him in, in some of the worst in the worst years of his entire career. Yeah. I've been Hall of Fame, greatest of all time type careers. Then as that's transitioning out, we they lose a couple of picks. They lose out on some first-round picks, three years with number two, which is incredible when you think back on it because every year that happened, everyone thought, oh, it's rigged. They're going to get the number one pick. It's going to be so-and-so. That's what the Lakers do. And then that doesn't happen. Yeah. And somehow all of those picks either have flamed out or disappointed, including D'Angelo Russell, including Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. None of those guys were at their projections in the draft when they were with the Lakers. Yeah. So it's not just Magic, it's not just Palenka, but there is a huge rot at this organization. You added LeBron James and only won two more games. That's crazy. Two more games. One of the greatest off- players of all time. One of the greatest offensive players. There was no development. Like, he made Mario Chalmers into a, a essential piece. Yeah. Amon Schubert into essential pieces. Mike Miller into essential pieces. Because of that's kind of the offense 
that is, and creates that foster fosters an environment and inclusion and a fun athletic style. We couldn't we couldn't get him to work with Lonzo Ball or Brandon Ingram. It's like no, let's just bring in everyone that Clutch Sports wants with KCP. Oh, let's get <laughs> let's let's bring in toughness, and that somehow means Michael Beasley. Hey, I, it's so funny you brought that up. It, it's so funny you brought that last part up, Torres, because I'm I'm in the car with my dad on I guess it was Sunday. And we I, we were talking about the same thing. It's just about the, the construction of the roster. And I'm like, Dad, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you think toughness, do you think JaVale McGee and Michael Beasley and Rajon Rondo? Lance Stevens, okay, I'll give you Lance Stevenson. The other three guys I don't think of toughness, and maybe Rondo from 10 years ago, but not the Rondo that some days, some, like Dallas, he'll quit. And then he'll randomly, oh, he'll play great in New Orleans. Now he's playing great again. And he'll take a whole regular season off. And then don't get me started on BZ and McGee. Two very talented, good players. But, again, tough. they weren't getting toughness. They were getting characters. <laughs> like, like, I don't know how, and I definitely don't think toughness with KCP. Like, I don't know how they, and what was funny was Magic, I know, unfortunately, as the demise of this season continued, People kept pulling up these quotes. And one of the quotes I heard was him saying, we look at the teams that won the playoffs, it was teams that had tough guys. The first team he mentioned was Houston. I'm sorry, Torres. Didn't Houston break a record last year for the most three-pointers in the NBA last year? Like, how do you look at Houston's success from last season and think they got here because of toughness? Like, now... Houston is a tough team. I, I'm not saying they're not a tough team. But the the overarching reason why they were so deadly was because they buried you with three-pointers. And the, the idea that Magic only saw toughness and thought that, oh, the three-pointer that they had, well, that really had nothing to do with what they did. It was really more just the fact they had tough guys. And then he didn't get tough guys. Like, like Houston has had Trevor Reza, P.J. Tucker, guys that, yeah, you want to go in the foxhole with. No way you go in the foxhole with Michael Beasley and, and JaVale McGee. Nobody. So I, even like to me, like when I heard that, I was like, okay, clearly his mindset is a little off, and maybe this isn't quite the best person for this gig. But I don't know. I I, I was I look at the situation, and and you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that Magic clearly, I don't think really wanted to do the legwork. And I, I to be honest, I'm not even here to even bash him because I think it's a unfortunately a problem with a lot of these celebrity star players who are post-retirement who want to do these gigs and sometimes not even star players it could be star coaches like phil jackson like i don't think i think they think that like being a, a nba general manager or vice president or president is like being a 2k general manager i i really do like i think they think that oh i can just pick the players and like I can get somebody to figure out the money situation. Like, it can't be that hard. People do it on 2K all the time. Because how, like, we have, you know, Phil Jackson, same situation. Didn't do the great legwork. Didn't, you know, delegated way too much. Um, didn't seem invested. He's gone. Phil ja- I mean, uh, Mario Johnson didn't do the legwork. Wasn't invested. He's gone. But Michael J- Jordan was running the Wizards. Similar stuff about whether or not he was doing the right legwork and, and how he was really evaluating players. Um, and then you, I keep hearing about Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley claiming that they don't understand why they're not general managers. Look, them guys live very lavish, rust-like lifestyles. And 
they're able to do so because of their personality, because of their fame, because of their prior success. And I'm not saying that every great athlete can't do it because, look, Mark Jackson, say what you want about the stuff he did off the court. He he did the legwork in terms of a head coach. He, no one complained about him being lazy. Nobody's complaining about Doc Rivers being lazy. No one's complaining about Danny Ainge being lazy. Jerry West has been doing this joint for 30 years. Never once anyone complained about him not doing the legwork. So it's not just all athletes, but I think sometimes some of these guys who think that the game is, is, is like this job is kind of easy and they can just come in and just kind of wave a magic wand, it doesn't work that way. I think Magic found out very quickly that, look, if you're a 500, you have a $500 million net worth and you're taking a job like this, like it's it is it, you're gonna learn very quickly that it's a very different lifestyle than what you were living it is i mean we know magic ain't he ain't going to high school gyms to see who the next one is he's not flying to greece or to slovenia to find the next Doncic or or giannis onto the cupo we know he's not doing that leg work we see him all the time he's not he's not like he's not visible like we see him all the time not doing that work He's going to see Michigan State at the Final Four. He's going. He's at the Laker game. Like we know, he's not doing that kind of legwork. So like it didn't. It didn't inspire any any confidence that um, that that was happening. So it, his end is not that surprising. What is surprising to me is the fact that to me, well, not surprising, but it, it's become quite obvious that Torres, the Laker organization. Getting rid of Jim Buss was not going to fix whatever issues they have. It's very obvious he was not the only problem. I'm not saying he wasn't a problem. Because Genie has run this team pretty much just as dysfunctionally as Jim has. Uh, With the exception that they got one star free agent, the free agent of all free agents, LeBron James. But outside of that, it's been the same player dysfunction, the same front office dysfunction. Um, The fact that she set up Palenka with Magic to begin with didn't seem to make any sense. Um, she didn't seem to setting Magic up with Luke Walton when it was clear Magic didn't believe in Luke Walton from day one didn't make any sense. The, the, I, if I was LeBron James, I'd be very concerned about Laker management because he went there while we all know he had his eyes on Hollywood. Magic was supposedly the one that kind of made him at ease in making the move. I, I don't know how you look at this situation and feel like you're in good shape right now. Well, here's here's something. When you were talking about magic, remind me of one thing. It's something we always say. It's about how how everything is pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. So magic, we, we talked about the toughness thing. So he, he saw people talking about the meme team because they're a bunch of clowns up in there yeah. with the Veil and Lance and um, who am I forgetting? And Who's Beasley and Rondo. Hey, Rondo, yeah, I forgot Beasley. So he saw that. I was like, what's a way I could spin this? And he's like, toughness. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the only thing you could say. It's not yeah. shooting. It's not, it's not just it's, – it's like how can we describe their grit and like dig into it. And we talked about all those names about the position of basketball because it's funny. Like a lot, of, a lot of discussions have been talked, talking about how basketball culture is. It talks about the players wanting to f- form up and team up. A lot of the reasons this stuff happens in terms of teaming up in the super teams is because you have incompetent management, incompetent ownership. You're right. And they're like, you know what could probably overcome that? Three superstars. (laughs) Yeah. 
like there's not many um, r- really strong ownerships in the league. And the fact that Cleveland won a damn title is, is pr- proof positive of that. Because they're also got the highs, like, without LeBron for, what, the fourth, fifth year out of the eight seasons he hasn't been around since he was drafted. They're in the top they're in the top percentage for draft lottery. It's insane. But we have a bunch of – we have a bunch of people. I think specifically this is a Laker problem. This is also a bigger problem across the league where they think that – whatever temperament and whatever style got them to their success in basketball before, you know, Phil Jackson with the coaching, even Tom Thibodeau, yeah. um, Rivers, um, they think that if they could just apply that to this new job, it's the same thing. Stan Van Gundy. Yeah. And this, instead of adapting and instead of learning. And then they think the power of their own brand can overcome instability and overcome a strong like could overcome a, a weak institution and that's just not how this works it's just not and when we have you know we talk about jim bus jim bus had to go with that absolutely with the, you know everything that happened with dwight howard everything that happened with handling the team after kobe went down giving 50 million dollars and not in the playoffs they just won the title and how that team really decayed around them was because of that same idea we got dwight howard he's the next big man I was just like, you sure? Like, you you want to talk to Kobe about that? Maybe we could figure this out a little bit instead you of. Listen, you want to listen to his agent and when he says, "I don't think he wants to sign here <laughs> long term." Like there, there are a lot of red flags about getting Dwight just, Howard. You know, you want to give a first round pick for a forty year old point guard and Steve Nash? It's like we're the Lakers. We make this work, and then it's just it's incredible because it's not like the last time we we got a bunch of aging vets around Kobe that didn't work out either, but. Now when you have to really go forward, we have to focus on the players that have. Lonzo Ball may have not, you know, I'm a big Lonzo Ball guy. I thought he mm-hmm. should win number two. You know, people were, you know, in hindsight talking about De'Aaron Fox and yeah. talking about the rest of that draft. Obviously, those guys are balling. Brandon Ingram had some incredible length, incredible play, playmaking potential, 3 and D possibilities. There's, that's such a mold there. Yeah. D'Angelo, and, and they still have it, and they've regressed. D'Angelo's gotten better without them. Julius Randle's gotten better without them. It's like, you hear that, it's like, it's like hey, these weren't the people that we, they were when they are here. It's like, how can you not cultivate these skills if it's taken a season or two? Brooke Lopez. Oh, Lopez has been great in Milwaukee. He's in Boston. You, you, you don't think he was shooting these was like shooting these threes in, like the, in practice last year? He was just like, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to shoot 17,000 jumpers this offseason, and all of a sudden I'm going to break the record. Because that's just something I've just you know I could create. Yeah, it's like just turned up his own stats in 2K. It's like you know, I'm gonna boost these sliders up. All it's gonna take is three months. No. Yeah. L- losing Zubac. Oh man, that Zubac trade. I still don't. I still no can't. Like, I remember can't I was thinking that. Fathom that. Like, and it's just like you you need high quality players. You need to develop them. Everyone that's left this organization has been better as a player. And I tell you what, I think that you mentioned. Um, the, the the landscape of the team, Ingram and Ball's fit. That is where I partially I don't blame LeBron for much of this magic debacle, but I partially blame him only in that aspect because the word has been, and I don't know if this was Rich Paul spin when it happened, when they actually weren't happy with what they were doing, but they went went along with it. But it seemed like LeBron was very much in favor of the moves that they made. 
because LeBron's issue was was beyond toughness was he wanted other playmakers and we remember everything every year in Cleveland he kept complaining I don't have any goddamn playmakers on the team and I'm doing everything and so they're like okay well Rondo and Lance Stevenson are definitely they definitely fit that bill as playmakers quote unquote um that should allow you more help but the issue I think with LeBron this year was I don't know if he really ever acquiesced his game to some of the players on this team uh, while not much he could have done for Ron not being able to shoot or Lance Stevenson being a very inconsistent shooter. I do feel like with Lonzo, it made all the sense in the world for LeBron to me to take more of a wing role and more of a, look, I'm going I'm to try to lead the league in scoring. I'm not going to be the point forward, so to speak, because I have this young point guard who's not a very good shooter, but can run a team and knows how to run the fast break. And I can get some easy baskets off of this kid. Instead, LeBron and Lonzo, you know, to his credit, said that he loved playing with LeBron, that playing with LeBron was like playing with a big brother. And I'm sure it was. I don't think he's lying. But I, I think that he could have adjusted his game to maybe fit more of what made Lonzo Ball great. Uh, the fact that he can push the rock, that he can run a team. Um, I think there were times where I, I thought Brandon Ingram the last two months was rolling. And there are games I'm watching, games I was there in L.A., where I felt like Ingram was rolling, and then you know, LeBron then says, okay, now I got to get mine now. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You got a young guy rolling. Let him kind of figure it out. Part of that is fit because just how do you play Ingram and LeBron at the same time for long periods of time. But other things, too, I think LeBron could have. Uh, we talk about his leadership in terms of, like, how he reacts to the young players. I, some of that stuff, I think, is a little overblown. I do think how he how he approached the season, I think maybe he could have adjusted. And that would be my only real Real criticism, besides the fact that he wasn't playing any defense, and that like clearly that's not setting a good example, and that he takes games off. But in terms of how he approached the season, I think that that was something that he 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 missed on. I think that's why the Lakers are going home. But uh, I do want to shift gears now and talk about the NBA playoffs because now we got to talk about teams that actually are still playing as opposed to the Lakers who are now done. Um, so let's start with the Western Conference. Uh, this is a conference that has been just dominated by the Golden State Warriors, who once again finished with the best record in the West. They have a first-round matchup with the Clippers. Um, the other matchups in the, in the in the first round, you got Denver facing uh, Spurs in a 2-7 matchup, the Trailblazers facing OKC in the 3-6, and then the Rockets play the Jazz in the 4-5 matchup. So, Torres, I'll give it to you first here. Uh, what do you feel like is the most intriguing first-round uh, first pairing? So for the for the West, right? We're yeah, starting up? yeah, for the West. For the West, mine is uh, the Trailblazers and the Thunder. Um, you know, I've it's been documented on the show my feelings about Damian Lillard and Westbrook, and I think these are two teams that are headed out by guys that they had the streak of no one believes in us, no mm-hmm. one believes in me. They're always talking. They're pr- they're praying on my downfall, um, <laughs> and with the way that the uh, the Blazers have trailed. Oh my God! The tra- Blazers have trailed. The the Blazers have ended this year. They've always been a great second half team. Mm-hmm. Every time like Damian Lillard doesn't get an All Star All Star berth, like the Blazers somehow rack off this incredible win streak and make everyone look stupid. But just like just do this in the first half, bro, and we can have this conversation. Which he did is an All Star. That's a minor gripe. You could tell it's a little personal. <laughs> but, but seeing how they've kind of ascended to the third seed, like, pretty quietly, not for nothing, like, over t- over the Rockets, over the Jazz, teams that were definitely um, supposed to be behind them. Mm-hmm. 
It's going to be ahead of them, not behind them. And even the Thunder, yeah. with Paul George um, having the kind of rise he had until he was he was a Dark Horse MVP candidate for about three quarters of the season. I just like that idea of the scrappiness that goes into it. You know, Steven Adams is one of my favorite players in the league, doing everything he can as a big man, ultimate teammate, enforcer, and then facing off against the the, the big lads they got, you know, the Tur- the American Turkish hero uh, in Enes Kanter, who was the only thing that I loved about this Knicks season, and that was torn away from me because nothing's fair. <laughs> and, and seeing that and having that matchup, um, you know, Russ ending the playoff Russ is always exciting. He could also throw the ball into the fourth floor and threaten to punch another fan. But uh, I think that's some, one of the more exciting ones for me in terms of star, star power, in terms of regression, in terms of pe- two teams who really who really are just not going to like each other purely based off of what their fans are saying and not because of who's on the court. Yeah, and if you go, if you go way back, I know I don't know how the Portland fans will carry this, but, I mean, this is like your classic Blazers-Sonics rivalry, even from back in the day, on uh, the North, great Northwest. So um, that, that I agree. I think that should be a really uh, intriguing series. For me, um, I'm looking at the Jazz and Rockets in that 4-5 matchup, and it's really interesting to me because Torres, I thought the Jazz – uh, just completely last year dismantled Westbrook and Paul George and Melo in a way that I thought they were capable of when we talked about that series last year, but I didn't know if they could get it done in f- four times. And the way they, 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 they physically and mentally just just wore those guys down. Now, in hindsight, seeing what happened this year, them fans in Westbrook, there's an issue there. And maybe that also had... Some, some unfortunate ramifications of why he played so poorly, too. But um, but there's no question that the Jazz, man, uh, the way they play defense, the way they prepare, they make it tough on other stars. And James Harden is as, is as electrifying as there is in the NBA. He's the toughest cover in the NBA. But I want to see what he does in this kind of series against this kind of defense. Um, it's not like teams right now really co- – holding teams under 100. I don't think anyone did it for the entire season in terms of an average. But the Jazz are, without question to me, the best defensive team in the league. And they're going to have something for this, for, for, for Harden. They're going to they're gonna prepare well. Um, we already saw, you know, Crowder getting tips from, from, from Patrick Beverly. We know that crowd, you know, outside the, the idiots and the racists in there. The rest of the crowd, they're a great home crowd. They're very intimidating. Um... That's going to be a fun one. And, and to me, I think, you know, we, we got to talk about a player to prove just in a couple of seconds. But uh, Donovan Mitchell is a guy that I think has kind of gone completely under the radar this year. Partly because I don't know if he took necessarily that much of a jump from his rookie year. But, man, he's still a really good player. And I think that he's going to rise up to the occasion in this kind of series, knowing that the spotlight will now back be back on his Jazz team and, and on him in this marquee matchup against Harden. So, uh so Quinn Snyder versus D'Antoni, offense, defense, I think this is a great pairing. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, where that one goes. So Torres, if you had to pick um, an upset alert, so any of the lower seeds, uh, and you don't have to pick them to win, but just uh, a series to keep an eye on for an upset, which one would you take? Um, I would take the Thunder, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm very confident in most of these um high-level teams, and I know you're talking about higher-seeded teams, excuse me, I know you're talking about Rockets and the Jazz. It's 
I'm still shakily confident in the Jazz, um, excuse me, in the Rockets, but I could also see them flaming out. But I think this that one's more personal. I just really like betting against the Blazers and Damian Lillard, truth mm-hmm. be told, and um, seeing if Paul George can get back into full form. I know he's been a little hobbled lately, and I, I still think that that the relentlessness can really overpower them. And, you know, they do have something to prove as a team. It's not just Westbrook. I think they all left They left the series early, and, uh, you know, we, we highlighted how crazy Westbrook shooting was in those last few games when the series were already, already over, as well as the shooting was this, this year. But I think it goes deeper than that. And that's, that's kind of my upset alert. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I see what you're saying about Donovan. You know, he didn't, he didn't really regress, but he was so more advanced. It's like you're, you're already, your first year, you're already like an 88 overall, and now you're just an 89. Yeah, like, but he's still pretty damn good. <laughs> still pretty good. That's still better than most, of, most players on your favorite team. So. Yeah. Um, I think for me, uh, I'm going to go with the Spurs as a, as a, as a team to watch in that matchup against the Nuggets. Some of it has a lot. To, a lot of it has a lot to do with the Nuggets in comparison with the Spurs and their experience. Um, the Nuggets have had an incredible season. Uh, I think Mike Malone should definitely be one of the top candidates for Coach of the Year. You know, Nicole Jokic is a superstar. Uh, Jamal Murray, who I who I really zeroed in on before the season as a player to watch uh, for a breakout, I thought had a great season. Um, they're deep. It's not. There's a lot to like about them, but. What I like about the Spurs is one, obviously, you gotta love Popovich in a seven-game series against a coach who um, has never coached in the playoffs before, and they got two star players who they kind of been a mixed bag in the postseason for most of their career, but they've been there a lot of years. You know, DeRozan and and Aldridge will know the preparation needed. They'll know the adjustments needed to get it done. And when you're going against a, a group that basically they're basically rookies when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, none of these guys on the on the Nuggets. That, that will be getting big minutes for guys that have played a lot of games in the postseason. So when I look at the Spurs, I look at the guys they're putting out there with, with, with DeRozan and Aldridge, um, I don't think that's going to be a cakewalk for, for, for the Thunder. I mean, excuse me, the Nuggets. I, I think for the Spurs, it's all going to be about pace. If they let the Nuggets get that game up and down, then they could get swept. But if they're able to keep that game, those games in the half court and – and the Nuggets have to grind it out more than they're used to, and it becomes those close games. We're talking about two minutes late, games close or tied. I, I'm, I'm taking DeRozan or even Aldridge for a shot over anyone on the Nuggets. So so that's going to be something to, to watch. I, I think that um, uh, I think the, the fact that the Spurs had to kind of battle their way to not get that A spot I think is important too. So... Uh, I'm gonna say the Spurs are a team to uh, to keep an eye on for for an upset there. Uh, Torres, give me one player who has the most to prove in this first round. In the West, I think we'll go back to Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the big reasons people kind of uh, stop really talking about him is you know last year a big part of the the race, the MVP, excuse me, the Rookie of the Year race was talking about how you know Donovan Mitchell's a true rookie and look what he's done. And then he had some early playoff success. And this year he started off really slow. And this year yeah. you can see Ben Simmons and the, and the Sixers kind of like took a leap 
in terms of being a real threat and a contender in the East. Uh, this has probably one of, been one of the more fun rookie classes for um, in terms of talent, in terms of spectacle, in terms of storylines. And once he came healthy, like I said, it was that 88 to 89 jump. Like I think he's made some strides in being confident, being more poised, and being more effective and efficient, making smarter plays. And that comes with time and attention. And there was some buzz a little bit when this kind of, uh, you know, focusing on his his spider personality and he was living the gimmick, yeah, so to speak, and about how he was he was a real rookie and he did so good. And there were murmurs and whispers and about how he wasn't working as hard as he probably should have. And I think that hurt him a lot in terms of perception. So people kind of stopped talking about him a lot. And I think now in this series where he's up against one of the MVP candidates, people are going to be watching. And like you said, like their styles, the both team styles really contrast. And if, if the Rockets kind of have a showing like they did in the last playoffs where they start breaking a little bit, and you, you have a few Joe Angles big shots and Rudy Gobert's blocking stuff and Donovan Mitchell scores the most of the game, people are going to start paying attention again. I think that's what we know Donovan wants, people to pay attention again. Um, I, I agree. I think that I, it's, it's so funny with the Jazz and that team. Um, it's like we no one talks about them for 82 games. And then because of the way the job Quinn Snyder does and like he puts the team in the spotlight where you kind of have no choice and – uh, we saw with Gordon Hayward when he was a star there, and then now we're seeing with Donovan Mitchell. He's going to be in the spotlight again, and he's in one of the more premier matches of the playoffs. So how he responds against uh, a, just a complete juggernaut, and Vince, uh, James Harden, is going to be interesting. For me, uh, there are a couple of ways you can go. I thought about Dame Lillard. Uh, I even thought about Kevin Durant. Um, but I'm going to go with Russell Westbrook from player with most, most proof because I think – I think a lot of people were willing, I don't know about a lot of people, but I, I get the impression that when it looked like the Thunder had slid all the way to eight and that, or, or when the Warriors were even two and they were in seven, when it looked like the Thunder maybe slotted for a first-round matchup with the Warriors, that we all were kind of just ready to say, okay, well, this is going to be a lost year for the Thunder. We know they're not getting out of the first round. Or even when they looked like they were in a 3-6 matchup with the Rockets, it was the same thing. Oh, well, Rockets, tough. Uh, if they don't win that one, you know, we're fine. I think that they got the Blazers, and you mentioned about how little confidence you have in that unit, how little confidence a lot of people seem to have in Dame Lillard and, and that team when it comes to the postseason. I, I think the pressure now goes back on to Russ, because if they lose, we know he's getting the blame, whether or not he deserves it. I still think last year, as crazy as he was playing, that Paul George deserved way more blame for them getting eliminated than Russell Westbrook did, because Paul George was just... He was he was non-existent in in the last two games that they lost, uh, in game five and game six. He just did literally didn't show up. So I, we know it's gonna fall on Russ, and I think people are gonna look at this game and say, "All right, you got a marquee matchup against a point guard, but a point guard that a lot of people think you're better than a team that a lot of people think you're better than." Like you gotta finally get out of the first round if you're really uh, one of these elite players, MVP caliber players, or just a stat filler kind of guy. Uh, I don't think Russ is a stat filler. I think he's a star. But I, I think in some ways you could say that, well, he got a great drawing because the Blazers seem like a possibly a favorable matchup for an upset. In one, another sense, it's like, well, now people are going to be expecting you to rise up to those expectations, and will he do that? We never know because uh, Russ you know, plays with his heart on his sleeve, and sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. And 
Uh, if those emotions get out of hand, uh, he could find himself out of the first round like he did last year, and it would not be surprising. Uh, all right, let's go through the first round picks, Torres. So uh, the series that none of us mentioned, I think, because we all kind of know the result, but we do need to give picks for it. Uh, Warriors and Clippers in the first round. Uh, who wins and in how many games? I say Warriors in five. So you're giving, Clippers, you're giving the Clippers one? I'll give the Clippers one because, like, I think the no one believed in us effect is so crazy. Um, the fact that they got rid of so much, losing Tobias Harris, losing Blake Griffin, losing all these superstars, and they're in the eighth seed. They're in the playoffs. I think giving them one, and I think with the, the way the Warriors have kind of been flicking their switch on and off, Doc and Doc has had a master class in terms of making this team into a def- into defensive unit, really focused. Gal's been balling, mm-hmm. and these long, quick, like kind of nimble uh, shooters give the Warriors fits because it forces someone like uh, Kevin Durant to really exert himself on that end because he's the only one who can guard someone as tall as Gallo. Yeah. So I think it could be one, but it's only one. I like they really the Warriors. Found, we don't talk about them because they really found themselves. They somehow made it back to the one seed when no one was looking, and it's gonna be it's gonna take more than Montrez Harrell to get them um, out of the playoffs. Yeah, I feel bad for the Clippers because I think that I really wanted to see what a Denver. LA match would have looked like. I think that could have been a classic. Uh, the, the Warrior matchup is just too much for them. I'm going to say they get swept. Uh, it's no disrespect to the Clippers. I think that what Doc has done has been incredible. Uh, Lou Williams and Gallo have been incredible all season. Uh, Montrez Harrell is just, I mean, uh, the way he's played off the bench is, you know, they have a, a nice team and, and, and they play together. And they they play with a with a with a chip on their shoulder that comes from Patrick Beverly, but uh, they, with this Warrior team they, in the playoffs, even though you know they've been one of the be- more better offensive teams all season, in the playoffs is it becomes a lot more of a grind to score, and you need great one on one scorers to do that. As good as Lou Williams and Gallo are, I, I don't look at them as great one on one scorers, and I feel like in a seven game series or four in this sense. Where teams are really preparing, they really know what you want to do and how you score. I think those guys are are guardable, especially for the Warriors. So um, I'm gonna say one of those games is really close, maybe even two of them. But I, I can't give them a game here. I'm going Warriors in four. Nuggets and Spurs. Torres, who wins in, in how many games? I pick the Nuggets in six. Um, I you know I heard what you said about. Uh, their inexperience, especially with the lack of star power for this team. You know, Jokic is, is one of the most incredible, incredibly skilled big men we've ever seen. Absolutely. And to see how he could shoulder the load. Like, I think a lot of the big concerns about Jokic is, you know, it's kind of like, it's the pudgy frame syndrome. Like, you see him and you're like, not looking like sculpted out of granite. And they're just compared <laughs> like, can you carry a team? And, yeah. Um, and... You know, admittedly, he wasn't the most fleet of foot either, but the way that they built their, and really highlighted the, the strengths and the roles on their team, I, it could be – I could see them uh, giving the Spurs fits. And I don't like the Spurs team a lot. I never have. I've never been a fan of Marcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan uh, in terms of their individual games, uh, how they play. I just think that uh, – the style, the pace can really, really take advantage of 
those limitations that those two players have offensively and defensively. But you know, it's a it's the pop, it's pop, so he gets one game. I would have said five if it wasn't Greg Popovich, yeah. but I'll say I'll I'll say six for them. Um, I'm gonna say this goes seven, but the Nuggets get out because of the home court advantage. I, I think they're gonna have some issues in those, some of those road games, especially in San Antonio. Uh, you know, I did say I said they had no one. They do have Paul Millsap, and he's not nobody. I mean, him having that kind of veteran presence in the starting lineup. He's played in conference championship games, so he he's experienced. But again, I just feel like they're gonna be those games. I, I think they'll probably win every game at home, but I think they might have struggles on the road. And uh, it does concern me that when I look at that team, I say, "All right, when they need a basket late, who are they going to?" And I guess that's Jamal Murray. And I like Jamal Murray, but I, I have I have more confidence in 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 Aldridge or, or 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 DeRozan to get me a bucket that I need late in the game in a playoff game. And it might not rear its ugly head for them to lose this series. But I think I think they're gonna have some growing pains. I don't think this will be easy. So uh, Popovich, we know he's a mastermind. We know he's gonna have some kind of game plan to to try to neutralize Jokic a little bit. It's hard to neutralize a guy like that when he's when he doesn't have to score to dominate. Those are those kind of guys are really hard to stop because it's like okay, do we are we trying to make him a scorer? Because Jokic can get thirty, but like so so he's tricky. But I expect him to have probably some issues and and, and, and some. The Spurs will have something ready for them, but uh, I don't think it'll be enough to win the series because I don't think they have enough overall firepower outside of those top two guys. They really don't have much. So uh, I'm going to say the Nuggets win in seven. Good series, but uh, a close win. What about uh, Blazers and Thunder? Uh, you know, I said this was my upset al- upset alert a little bit. So I'm going to stick with the Thunder uh, in, in six, just purely to stick with my prediction and um, hoping for – a strong Paul George performance, like you said, he has to he has to show up. And uh, one of the things you you we've seen ever since he resigned is that there is a real deference to Paul George this year, which kind of allowed him to take that step up and leap in his game before he got injured. Is like Russ is not he's not blissfully ignorant to the 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 talent that PG has. That's why. Paul George resigned because they have a bond. So I think if he steps up, it kind of does overwhelm this team that's really relying on not too fleet of foot big men, and it could be it could be a conga line to the to the rim if these two are kind of cooking on all cylinders. Cooking on all cylinders. Um, this is a tough series. If if uh, if Jerkic uh, if, if Jerkic didn't get hurt, I, I think I would go. I would have picked the Blazers, but. Kander is so bad defensively, and I'm assuming he's going to be playing a lot of minutes because you need someone to try to negate uh, uh, Stephen Adams on the offensive glass, and he's the only guy capable on their on their roster. I I imagine Russ is going to kill him in pick and roll, and the the Thunder are a good matchup for the Blazers because the Thunder have a lot of length. And the Blazers, one of the things they did improve this year was trying to get more shooting. Uh, Seth Curry has been a really good addition for them. But the way that the Thunder can switch defensively, the way they pressure you, I I kind of feel like this is like the Pelicans all over again. It's a different kind of team, but like the same kind of length, same kind of issues you would have defensively. I'm going to say the Thunder win this one in seven. I think it will be competitive. I think it will be tough because it literally is a killer in in the last two minutes in the fourth quarter. But... um, 
But I think they'll have their issues. I think the Thunder will squeak squeak away with that series. Last one here in the West, uh, Rockets Jazz. Uh, who are you going with? I will stick with the uh, Rockets. Um, I think they have a lot to prove. It's been it's been a weird like low key seesaw for them in terms of a team. I know they came back and they were storming to the second seed, especially with uh, Chris Paul after Chris Paul getting hurt and the scoring streak. Um, I feel like they do have a lot to prove, um, especially uh, with James Harden. I do think being the MVP twice is going to mean a lot to him, and carrying the team on his back has been a revelation for him um, offensively. And I feel like, and they could, they can shoot them out the gym, but the shots have to have to drop. And especially against a team like the like the Jazz, which could match very well athletically and with a very solid structure, but I still think. That the Rockets can eke it out, and I'll say it. I'll say in six. I'll stay with the Rockets in six as well. Um, the one thing that concerns me a little bit is, I know this is how they play, so I don't. I doubt that they'll change it, but I think it's gonna hurt them a little bit that Harden does so much one on one. This is not the kind of team that you can say we're gonna have no ball movement with, and we're gonna have a guy just try to just beat the guy he's guarding and think that you're gonna win, uh, or at least, you know. At least dominate. I I feel like Harden as great as he is, they're gonna have to do some other things to get him buckets besides just having to beat five men on every play. This team is gonna be as good as any team in terms of being disciplined in their rotations and in their scouting report and how they help off certain guys. So for that reason, I think the, I think the Jazz will get at least two games in this series because I I think that that kind of play is gonna play right into their hands. But again, it it's, it still comes down to firepower and. Outside of uh, Mitchell and Ingles, I just don't know the Jazz having the offense to hang with a team like the Rockets, who can, who again can get hot from three and really bury you. So I'm gonna say the Rockets win in six. Uh, let's go to the Eastern Conference. Um, the Bucks right now, the number one seed after a, a, a MVP caliber season from uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he can end up being the MVP. Um, they have first round match with the Pistons in the two seven matchup. The Raptors play against the Jazz. Excuse me, the Magic. Uh, in the 3-6, Philly plays against Brooklyn, who's in the playoffs for the first time in, I believe, four seasons, if I remember correctly, four or five. Uh, and Boston plays Indiana in the 4-5 matchup. So, uh, since Torres went first last time, I'll go first here with the most intriguing matchup of the first round. Uh, this one's not close to me. I-, I think this is definitely Philly versus Brooklyn. Um, one, the proximity of the teams will make those Brooklyn games very interesting. <laughs> In terms of how many fans are Philly fans, and uh, I, I mean, I, I really, for Brooklyn's sake, I really hope that they get New York heads in the, that arena because those Philly fans will travel to Brooklyn, and that could end up being a neutral site games. But I, I'm excited about this series because of uh, Brooklyn's resurgence. You know, I mean, I gotta keep it real. I'm a Knicks fan. I, I hate Brooklyn, uh, but with the way D'Angelo Russell has played this year. Uh, the return of Karis LeVert, Jared Allen protecting the rim. Him versus Embiid should be a, a good matchup. And it just seems like Brooklyn kind of has a good thing going with how they're playing. And I, I like this matchup for Philly in terms of it being intriguing because I think that, you know, Philly, I think we all expect them to kind of be a championship contender and that they should take care of business and get to whoever they played. But of the three teams they could have played, like, I think we – uh, Orlando and Detroit, they should have just wiped the floor with. I think this is the team that I kind of look at. Okay, uh, a team with some athleticism, a team with guys that can that can beat guys one on one. You know, I want to see how they do it in a series like this. 
So uh, I'm very intrigued by it to see what happens with Philly and Brooklyn. And I, I totally agree about that, especially with the traveling Philly fans. And a lot of, uh, uh, like, I live a stone's throw away from Barclays Center. And, you know, through some very generous donations to, to my the organization I work at, we get we used to get a lot of tickets to Nets games, mm-hmm. mostly because they suck and people want to get rid of it and somehow right. get it written off. And this year we haven't. And I think yeah. that <laughs> we have, we've got, we should we go to like anywhere from five to seven games a year. Uh, this year has been one. Wow. And I don't think we're getting playoff tickets. So uh, that goes with the, the surprise factor of it. And, um, and with the traveling Philly fans and how this culture could be, this Nets culture is, I could see that as a real issue. Um, I think D'Angelo Russell has been the most poised he's ever been, and that's probably what's led to his success more so than style or fit. I mean, it also helps that these crazy floaters keep dropping. Oh and my I god! Like I'm, that's I'm, that's what I'm worried about for his progression going forward. Like when they when those start clanking, uh, but will it, they though? I mean, he's almost taking over Steph Curry for the number one floater game in the league. It, but if those start clanking, then it starts to look real bad. It's all yeah. about confidence and, and flow. And he's been he's been blessed with the burden of low expectations, in a way. Like as oxymoronic as that sounds, and he kind of made the most out of terrible situation. And so I totally agree. That's the only intriguing matchup. I don't think there's any possibility, any real possibility of any other team getting upset because of that. But I would like to talk about the Celtics and the Pacers. Because if if the way, especially with Marcus Smart being out for at least probably two rounds of the playoffs, which is the, one of them the worst timing. Yeah. Um, the weird implosion that this team has had, and it, it seemed to be to be st- tied over because Kyrie finally realized like, hey, maybe I should shut the hell up once in a while. And, it, took him, it took him all season literally to figure that out. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, Kyrie is somehow like jumped on one of my most disliked player lists. That's but that's for another podcast. Hmm. Um, there's a real chance of some implosion here if if Kyrie goes into real hero ball. If if the game if I, I'm worried if the game gets tight late. But uh, again, it's it's the Pacers who have done their best. I can't really tell you how because I'm not going to front and act like I know how they've been winning so much. But the fact that the, I think it says a lot about the team's culture this year that the Eastern Conference bound um, Eastern Conference finalists, Boston Celtics, and the Victor Oladipo-less uh, Pacers are in a four-five matchup. Are in a four-five matchup. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and that's the that's the troublesome part for me. And that like just because of the, the way the culture's been. In in the Celtics locker room because of Kyrie because of uh, Gordon Hayward being hurt because of Tatum not really taking a real leap um, and how that really affects Jalen and Terry who are more on the so I guess on the more reserved side in terms of especially compared to Kyrie yeah. but that's what I'm concerned about like I don't want the Celtics to kind of flame out early I think the playoffs would be better if we get uh, them versus the Celtics or versus Toronto and everything, but these other pl- these other matchups, I don't. If, if the Magic or the Pistons win, I will I will sell my <laughs> I'll sell my house and move to whatever city beats beats Toronto or like. Eh. But 
I agree. I'm gonna, I, just, I really would rather talk about the Nets and the Pacers. I assume the Nets and the Sixers because that's much a much more fun series. Like what you said about Jared Allen, who who is a really good defensive player, and could expose could expose Embiid because he could have one of those stupid little post ups Embiid have where he stumbles and hurts his back and <laughs> yeah and a couple of real big blocks. And so I I think I'm really excited for that one. Again, biased in Fork Green Brooklyn. Yeah. I could I could walk to Barclays over. <laughs> in the middle of your monologue and get back here before you finish. <laughs> That's how close I am. So um, definitely looking forward to that one the most. When it comes to an upset alert, uh, you mentioned the Celtics. I'm going to put the Celtics on upset alert, uh, these uh, teams in the top four seeds. Um, it sounds crazy because the Pacers don't have Oladipo. Uh, but the Celtics, they look so dysfunctional. And the Pacers play so well together. I don't think that any of these teams are going to lose. But, man, if the Celtics found themselves in a seven-game series in this first round, I would not be shocked. Um, they've been terrible on the road in not only the season, but also uh, very much in the playoffs in recent years under Brad Stevens. And, um, and I'll tell you what, the, the, the Celtics like to play small. And if they do that with this team, uh, Sabonis and Turner, those guys can hurt them. They can hurt, and even Thaddeus Young can hurt them in the paint. Uh, uh, the Pacers just play the right way. They they they, they are an excellent defensive team. Um, they don't take bad shots. They don't beat themselves. And the Celtics, that's kind of been their issue all year. Is that they 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 they've they when when things have gone poorly, it's been because guys are playing too much one on one. Guys aren't really uh, running Brad stuff, and that's where they get in, in trouble. Again, you want to talk about uh, tough crowds in. The postseason, Indiana, you know, ever since they their new resurgence, that crowd is not an easy crowd to play under. It's, it's a very difficult place to play. Um, a lot of it's a lot more to do with the Celtics in terms of what they're doing, and that smart injury is a killer because smart is kind of like the perfect jack of all trades kind of guy that they need. Guy who doesn't need a lot of shots, doesn't need doesn't need to uh, the ball to really be a, a very valuable player. Everyone else on that team does. So losing out of him, now you're inserting Terry Rozier in his role. He's a guy who needs the ball all the time to be successful. He's not going to do what Smart does. Smart can guard four positions. So, like, uh, not going to say they're going to get upset, but I, I'm, I'm going to put an upset alert on Boston because if they mess around, they could see themselves in a tough series. I'm going to go my upset alert with the series I can't stop talking about. Yeah. Uh, because with the Nets and the Pacers – I keep doing that. Next in the Sixers. It's just the C-E-R at the end. keeps messing me up. With the Sixers, um, we we talked about a lot about dysfunction with the the Celtics. The 76ers have been pretty dysfunctional as well. And uh, I think there's a real chance that uh, the inexperienced bug could really bite them. They they thought they would go farther last year. They didn't get there. Ben Simmons still has a shot of jumper. Um, I saw a robot in China hit a half court three, and still, and all the all the comments are just about somehow he has more threes. This robot and Ben Simmons, and it's like we're at we're at like he's Ben Simmons is somehow just he's just a basketball meme, yeah. Except to be an MVP, it's the he's again for the future podcast one of the most infuriating players to watch. Like take take a free throw line jumper, and. And I want to see how that is, especially if the crowd gets tight. 
Um, you know, we talk about Phillies fans traveling. They also get real tense when. Oh if, yeah. If the games get tense, those crowds get tense too. And like, as much as Embiid really, really kind of rallies the their the the fans and they really adapt this kind of mindset, the rest of that team. Uh, excluding Jimmy Butler, are, are not the most won't rise. Obviously, like they will rise to the occasion, uh, rise to the occasion in terms of like they're taking over a game. Mm-hmm. And D'Angelo Russell has ice in his veins. Hey. I don't know if you've heard that before. <laughs> uh, of course, I'm doing the damn gesture because again, I'm. This is the closest thing I'm going to get to New York playoff basketball in a while. So I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm leaning to here. Um. Russell, yeah, I tell you what, if there is a of these teams that try and pull up upsets, there's a player who will embrace the the opposing crowd. All those teams is Russell is the guy. I can see Russell really embracing that Philly crowd um, on those road games. Uh, some of, he's had some incredible performances on the road this year. Sacramento and Orlando, two games that come to mind uh, in particular. For uh, player to prove, player with the most to prove here. There are a lot of picks for the Eastern Conference. Whereas the West, I thought, you know, they really weren't a few guys. Um, you can go Simmons. You can go Embiid. You can go Kyrie. Uh, you can go Giannis. I'm actually going to go uh, Kawhi Leonard. I'm going to go Kawhi Leonard because, really, you know, he did all he could do to try to get himself out of San Antonio, which we all looked at as a winning situation, a team that, you know, if not for the Warriors, would be a championship caliber team if he was on it. And he did that so that he could get out of there and go to a what is a better situation or L.A. Um, he didn't get L.A., but he did get a better situation with the Toronto Raptors, a team that I think is way better than they were last year, um, even before the Gasol trade. I thought that this was, uh, while extremely risky, the absolute right move. And even if he leaves, I still think absolute right move for Masai Ujiri to take the plunge with Kawhi Leonard. And. Masai and the Raptors team around Kawhi have delivered on their end um, in getting him to this point. We know them guys can't get it done the whole season. We know what they're about when it comes to this time of the year. They needed a star who could take them to the promised land. And that's where Kawhi comes in. Kawhi, it's up to you. You got to show that you are that elite kind of player, that guy that deserves this super max contract that you're going to get in a matter of a couple of months. Um, that you are just as good or on the same level as LeBron, Kevin Durant, uh, Giannis, and these other great players that we talk about, James Harden. And there's an argument to say that he is. Um, and I think that it's crazy. The Harden and Giannis have been so ridiculous. In any other year, Kawhi would absolutely be in the conversation for MVP. I still think that the Toronto Raptors look like one of the top teams in the East. And with Kawhi in the fold, there's no reason why they can't end up playing Whoever comes out of the West, likely the Warriors in the finals, but it's going to be on Kawhi. I, I can't think I'm going to believe that uh, you know Kyle Lowry is going to have the best playoff of his career now after all these years. Like they're going to be some tough games, some games where they're going to struggle, and then they need a star that can pull them out of the, uh, the, the tough situations. He's the guy, so I'm going to go with Kawhi. You know, I like I like talking about Kawhi because as a con- as a true two way player um, in every sense, like he's. A great ISO player. Um, he could score in every way on the break, on the post. And one of the one of the premier defensive pl- players in the on the perimeter that we've seen. Yeah, he could win this, defensive player of the year. 
this decade, yeah. this century. Like, it's incredible to watch him play and how he, he, he really controls the game on that end. However, I agree with you on this point about proving it, proving the point this year because the Raptors have been pretty good without him. Yeah. Absolutely, they've been pretty good without him. They have like Siakam has taken usually he's he's probably going to win Most Improved Player. Um, when you when you you lose Jonas Valanciunas and get Marcus probably you lose a little less a little less spring chicken in Marcus as opposed to Jonas, but have such a skilled big man that could that's giving and intelligent. It there, there's a lot to prove. There's no LeBron. Yeah, yeah and there's no LeBron. And you know he. At the time, I thought that this move by Masai was about focusing on one thing. It was a soft reboot. Mm-hmm. It was a, like if he if this flames out, we lose the contract. Yep, we can start again. We'll focus on Van Bleet and Siakam. Lord, they I don't and especially how they developed last year, which was incredible. So they look even better for doing that. Yep, but yep. Going into this year, you're right. He has a lot to prove, and. As we continue on um, to the rest of the conference, Jimmy Butler did the same thing, except he talked way too much. Mm. Now, if they flame out, I think his 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 max contract is online. It's not in Philly. Um, Tobias's max contract is he's right there breathing down his his neck as well. That he has to prove that he is worthy of being on this team that has so much potential. It has big. It has number one in the East potential. If they gel and congeal and they have some real success here, because you know the Minnesota situation in between how Thibodeau kind of run ran up to the ground, Cat being soft. There's actually um, I watched the I watched a video recently about uh, it was called Carl Anthony Towns post ups where he looks like he can't post up because hmm. he looks so strained. It looks like he looks like as he's po- he's backing down in the post. Someone just opened like a Tupperware of hard-boiled eggs in his face. <laughs> uh, I, and Andrew Wiggins again. Uh, let's mark this down. One of my least favorite players in the league. <laughs> one of, he somehow regressed. Yeah, you know, I've texted you offline. Um, just a, looking at his basketball reference page, I, it was like a hate watch of a TV show. And you know, he left. He left that situation and was somehow able to get on the 76ers, which was a bless a blessing from the basketball gods for him. So he needs to deliver. I tell you what, and I tell you what, see, I, I I follow the people in Philly. They don't love him. I'm sorry, they, they don't love him. They don't love the way he's played. Um, they don't love his attitude. They don't love his contract situation. They do. They do not love him. Not all of them. Some people like him, but uh, yeah, he's got to show something. If he some of these performances he's had this season since he got to Philly have been very unimpressive. I think that his whole time in Philly has been very unimpressive for a guy who's supposed to be a max salary guy. Yeah, I mean, that silly is going to eat him alive if he plays the way he played in the regular season. I'll say that right now. Hey, man. Philly fans follow, so he'll he'll be in Brooklyn getting booed by everybody. <laughs> yeah, they will. If he, if he has a tough first two games and they split and they're down in game three and he's still struggling... He's gonna hear it from the Philly fans in Brooklyn. That's gonna happen. Man, I, I I tell you, man, uh, Jimmy Butler, with everything that happened in Minnesota, the situation uh, in Philly, where uh, he's been kind of a, a weird fit. He's played fine, but hasn't really taken off. 
That's going to be one to watch, man. I agree. Um, what we got now? Uh, we've got to do picks now, right? Yep, first round picks. So, oh no, yeah, first round picks. So, uh, let's let I'll go first. Let's start with the first round one eight matchup. So we got the, the Raptors. I mean, excuse me, the the Bucks versus the Pistons. Um, me and talk much about the Bucks in this uh in this in this uh segment. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Bucks obviously in this in this series. I'll give them. I'll say five. I'll say you know Blake Griffin gets them one game uh, at home, but uh, the Bucks are the real deal. Um, Bledsoe has been incredible this year. We already know what Giannis is. We know what Middleton is, but um, but I think Bledsoe has really been kind of their X factor. He's been so good at the point, and, and he and I think that he has been the most of all the players in that team that like were most welcome that that should most should have most welcomed the Bud hire. I think Bud has improved his game the most. I think he's the guy that you look at and say, "Oh yeah, he's totally different." I mean, when I watched him play last year um, against under Jason Kidd and whoever the hell the guy was that took over for him, I would forget his name. Um, Prunty. Uh, I mean, there there were times where Eric Bledsoe looked like he didn't know what the team wanted to do out there as a point guard, and I didn't really put it on him. I I, I kept saying, "Yo, this, this coaching is terrible. Like, they don't have any system." Like. It's a mess, and now we see him play out there this year, and he's so confident he can hit big shots for them. He's good defensively. He's been great. Uh, I, I expect him to dominate that, that that point guard matchup with Reggie Jackson. Uh, yeah, Bucks are a great team. They shoot the three well. They defend well. They're going to be a beast this, throughout this postseason. They'll handle the Pistons. Yeah, Bucks in four. Um, I think with we kind of go back to the Lakers real quick. The fact that um, there's been Jason Kidd buzz. After this, after this season, where Giannis has turned somehow has a comparable season to early career Shaquille O'Neal, just with more assists mm. and he could dribble, is one of the most asinine things. Uh, and I've I've heard like Giannis, has, like you know we haven't talked about it. he's my MVP candidate. I don't know if you've gotten into that, mm-hmm. but um, just the way that he. He roams. He's like, he's like a giant out there, in every in uh, on every corner and every like he's. You turn around, he's there. And the fact that he's got his assist numbers and the way his ISO, he his ISOs t- could turn into post ups, could turn into euro steps. Like, you know where he's going. He's gonna get to the rim, but he could get there in so many different ways that are not tr- that are not traditional post up, you know, hooks or up and unders yeah. or uh, fadeaways. But he's slowly been including that, and seeing his forays to the rim is something that I don't think we will like I've ever seen. Like because of the way kids are kind of just grown up nowadays, we'll never see another Shaquille O'Neal. But I think Giannis is like the closest thing we'll have to a player like in terms of their dominance, like Shaq, like a player that no matter what you're doing, he's gonna destroy you in the paint. It, like there's just you're gonna file out three of your guys. You can't stop him. It like it doesn't matter if he can't shoot. He's gonna dominate you around the basket. It's just and this new era of you know spacing and positionless basketball. Like he's the he is this version of Shaq. Like like Sha- there is no Shaq from that era. But if you're gonna have a guy who has that kind of dominant feel or dominant uh, presence on the offensive end in terms of dominating the paint, he's the guy. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean. 
MVP, uh, it's so close to me between him and Harden. Uh, I would probably, I probably would lean Harden because of him surviving the Chris Paul injury and that debacle with Melo earlier this year to play so well. But to me, honestly, this is another year where if they went halvesies and split it, I would be totally fine. I think these are two exceptional candidates. Toronto versus Orlando in the 2-7 matchup. Um, We haven't talked much about Orlando. They've been an incredible story. Uh, A great job over there um, uh, by uh, by Clifford. Uh, I, I, I tell you what, I thought that, I didn't think that, Valen, uh, uh, Vucevic would even be the starting center past the trade deadline when they drafted Mo Bamba. The fact that not only is he still a starting center and he made the All-Star game and now he's that star player going into a playoff series is quite a remarkable season for them. Uh, DJ Augustine starting 81 games and taking the team to the playoffs. I mean, I know it's the East, but that's they, they've been a great story. And they deserve props. Um, they will get swept in the first round, though. They will not win a game against this Toronto Raptor team. All these games, Torres, will be played on NBA TV, by the way. You will not be able to see any of these games probably on any. I haven't looked at the TV schedule, but if any of these games are on regular television, I would be I would be shocked. Um, and absolutely, they deserve credit for um, for getting to this point, but it's the East. Next, next season, they could be the 10th seed again. Vucevic could be doing just as much as he's doing before, but somehow lose five games. Mo Bamba still could be on the bench. And DJ Augustine misses the first 15 games of the season because of a wrist injury. <laughs> like, it's it's the magic. It's in the East. Like, so, somehow the Heat, um, the no. Heat decided, like, oh, we're going to have one last dance, but we're not going to focus on basketball. Uh, I don't know what they've been doing. And the Hornets sure. didn't do a damn thing to try to help Kimball Walker this year. It's just like, oh, we're just going to let him walk. Like, if you just want to let him walk, let him walk. Like, just get get Kemba out of there. Just, uh, you know, being being in New York City, I'm definitely a fan of Kemba Walker. I'm also a fan of Free Darko, so I'm going to say Free Kemba. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so uh, Raptors in four. Um, Philly and Brooklyn. I'm going to say Sixers in... I'm going to say this is a six-game series. I, I re- There's something about <laughs> that matchup with Brooklyn that is intriguing to me. And, again, I think I, I go back to the guard play that Brooklyn has. Um, Philly has two excellent perimeter defenders in Simmons and Butler. But they're going to be they're gonna have to guard. Like, I mean, now the NBA is filled with great guards, so typically they do have to guard. But, like, I mean, to me, like, Russell, Dimwitty, and Karis LeVert, I mean, when those guys get going, they're as good as any guard in the league. They're, they're that, and they're, they're those guys. They're those kind of guys that have that irrational confidence. That I can see them guys. One of them guys going for thirty-five on the road, and they win a game that nobody thinks they should have won. But they're they're capable, and, and they have a great rim protector. So, uh, and B is not gonna have the easy, easy, the normal easy time he has around the paint. So, uh, so I'm saying let's get two games here, but I don't think it'll be enough because of, of Philly's firepower. Uh, so I'm gonna say uh, six is winning six, but not easy. You said it yourself, irrational confidence. So my irrational confidence is saying that's in seven. Whoa, big upset oh, pick. Just go for it. I, I, there's a lot of things. You know, I, I'm if you're just hearing the show for the first time, I'm not typically a negative guy, <laughs> but we've been focusing on a lot of things I don't like, 
and I don't like the Sixers team. And I think there's 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 a irrational confidence that the Nets could have, and I think they could squeak it out. And this could be a season of destiny that we could talk about for a long time, especially if you know the Nets somehow get farther than the Celtics. But that's another extremely hot take I got in the back burner. But you know, I'm just gonna wait. Could let that uh, cook a little bit before I, <laughs> I talk about it any further. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll stick with that. That's what I think, and I want. Uh, wow, big upset pick there. We'll see if that happens. What about uh, Boston and, and, and Indiana? Uh, I'm gonna say Celtics in six, but I, again, I, I I think the Celtics are gonna mess around in the series and somehow drop multiple games. Um, yeah, of course. yeah. The, the the Pacers again, they play the right way. Uh, Sabonis is just an animal in the paint, and he's one of the more underrated players in the league. Uh, and the one guy I didn't mention in the first segment when I talked about this matchup is, is a Bogdanovich has been incredible for the Pacers this year, um, especially kind of filling in as that primary scorer for uh, for for Oladipo. They play defense, they play together. Boston struggles with both of those aspects. That's not a good recipe in the playoffs. So um, the talent will win out, but in the end, will give them trouble. So I'll say Celtics win in six. And I I agree with you, especially about just the slipping. Like, they have that propensity with how they've been playing this year, with yeah. Marcus Smart being out. And that's kind of been the Pacers' M.O. Like, they just get you. They'll catch you slipping. And uh, But I'll, I'll stick with it. I think the talent wins out. I think you can't. Brad Ste- as much as we talk about this team, Brad Stevens is still an excellent coach, not to take anything Um why am I drawing a blank on the Pacers coach? Oh, uh, uh, Nate McMill. Nate McMill, yeah. I almost said Frank Vogel. I'm like, nope, that's <laughs> not it. Um, uh, I think talent was that, like you said it best. So I'll say I'll say uh, Celtics at six. Um, so let's let's do quick finals. Who who comes out of the East? Who comes out of the West? And who wins it all? I I think it's Warriors Bucks. Um. I really want to see how the Warriors play. Uh, I think we've this this postseason because there's been a big talk about the switch. You know, um, they they come out very sloppy in the in the first quarter. Uh, their bench hasn't been great, so it's a lot of times that it's third quarter mop up duty for these teams. A lot of weird like 60, 60 to kind of fifty two quarters that they they're on the losing end of. Oh, excuse me, halves. But I still think their talent wins out with with those three and shooting them off the floor. But I see Giannis and the Bucks getting through. You know, we talked about Bledsoe um, really coming together. Brogdon is one of the uh, one of the good bench guys, consistent that they got too. And so they, I see them getting through, especially when the top of the East there is kind of creaky. Uh, Especially, uh, except for maybe Toronto, but uh, I I want to see a three peat. I think we're, that's what we're gonna get. I'm gonna say it's Warriors and Raptors. Uh, uh, I just I think the Raptors are so good, and um, a Raptors and look, it's not gonna be the NBA's TV dream if it's a Raptors uh, a Raptors first round uh, conference finals against the the Bucks, but. I think for if you're a basketball fan, you should love this matchup. Uh, that would be uh, a stellar um, matchup. But to me, uh, I'm gonna say the Raps come out of the East because of depth, um, not just Kawhi, but 
Kyle Lowry, Siakam, who's been incredible, Serge Ibaka, Gasol coming off the bench, OG, Jeremy Lin, uh, Norman Powell, Red Van Vliet. I mean, they they throw so many guys at you. And and to be fair, the, the, the Bucks have a lot of weapons too, but I'm going to say they, they, they win a tough seven-game series in the, in the uh in the Eastern Conference Finals and in the West, I, I got the Warriors. Um, I, I think they'll probably play the Rockets in the Conference Finals, but uh, the uh, the Warriors are just again they're just a different beast when it comes to the postseason. And I don't know. I think the Rockets were better, a little better equipped last year to face the Warriors in that kind of first in that kind of that kind of matchup. I think the Rockets actually would have beat the Warriors had Chris Paul not gotten injured. I, I don't think they'd beat them this year. I was banging the drum last year the Warriors were not going to make it to the finals uh, with the way they were playing. Uh, this year, it seems like the Warriors are ascending going into the playoffs, and the Rockets, they're playing well, but, well, actually, no, they can't play the Rockets. The Rockets are the fourth seed, so they won't be the Rockets, I'm sorry. Uh, so, I'm going to say they probably play, uh, I'm going to say it's probably, I'm going to say it's probably Oklahoma City. Uh, so, so you get the, so you beat the Rockets in the second round, you're either facing the, the Thunder or the Nuggets, possibly, maybe in the, in the, uh, conference uh finals I, I think those are very favorable match if they get either of those two teams the rockets are their biggest challenge uh but i, I think the warriors get out and overall i got the warriors in a tight series i'm gonna say they win in six the raptors are gonna get them problems so i think the rap i think of all the teams in the nba who could challenge golden state the most i think the raptors are getting them the most trouble because the raptors have so many weapons and i think they have a star that inspires confidence in them unlike uh, DeRozan and you know DeRozan's good but I think they feel like they have an elite guy and that gives them a chance where they didn't think they ever had a chance against LeBron with DeRozan as their best guy uh, so I'm going to say uh, Raptors get in Warriors get in Warriors take it in six uh, real quickly Torres we did have a, a national championship with uh, Virginia taking home uh, the Natty beating uh, Texas Tech I'm not sure how much you got to watch of this of this game or, or Virginia's run, but uh, I, I they deserve a big shout out because so many people clowned them all season after what happened uh, with losing it Maryland uh, uh, Baltimore County uh, in that one sixteen matchup from the year before, and as Kendall kept saying, we watched it together. He was like, "This, I mean, this could very well be a movie if they really want to do it." I mean, you have a team that lost in the most embarrassing fashion in the history of the NCAA tournament turned around was losing in the first round again that 116 matchup. They were down by 12 uh, in that 116 matchup this year. And they go all the way to the national championship. Uh, great mat- great, great job all around. T- uh, Tony Bennett is an elite coach. Um, the kid Hunter, he, he raised some eyebrows. Uh, I, I, I'm not as high in him in terms of the NBA draft, but a lot of people look at the way he guarded Culver, the way, the way he was hitting big shots. And uh, now he's going to have a chance now maybe in that top five, I think. Uh, when 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 the draft comes out, uh, Ty Jerome is great. We know Kyle Guy is a, a deadly shooter. Uh, I thought they had a great run. Texas Tech, a little disappointed in how Culver played. I, I felt like Culver. I expected to rise to the occasion a little bit more. He just never got his shot going, and that's you know uh, one of the concerns if you're looking at NBA draft scouting. His shooting is a little streaky, and he just couldn't buy anything in the last three games of the NCAA tournament. Those are all high-pressure games. He didn't shoot well in any of them. So that's definitely a red flag. I've been the one saying that I would absolutely draft him over Cam Reddish. I still think I would, but uh, now I, I, I do have questions about uh, uh, Culver and his ability to be a one-on-one kind of scorer in the league. So 
Uh, I thought it was a great tournament. I thought the Final Four left a little bit to be desired because of the matchups, but I think we ended up getting a great national championship game. Torres, any quick thoughts on uh, on uh, on uh, Virginia's run to the to the national title? And I I really agree with what you said about uh, the movie like quality to it. Um, you know, a lot of people weren't interested in this uh, in this tournament towards the end. I guess the Final Four because the big names were out. You know, you, it was really punctuated by Duke, by Zion. Um, and I think that goes with the celebrity nature of um, college basketball, at least. Like, if it's not powered by players, a lot of people aren't really that vested or that interested. And there's guess, more common fans. But, I guess, and we're speaking about what makes things interesting and fun are players and athleticism and personality and mm-hmm. and, hype, and hyperactivity. Virginia was none of that. Nope. Uh, in the past three years... Uh, what that program has done has been a winning culture based off of the things that people don't like about college basketball, especially when you're comparing it to pro hoops, uh, about yep. grit, a very defensive style, and they built that reputation. So, um, And that was always the big knock going into them uh, a few years ago before the tournament. It's just like, we don't want them to win. They're boring. And as someone who said that frequently, I definitely uh, basked in the glory that that 16 16- uh, upset was. Yeah. Um, I, you know, in the pool I was doing at work, I said this is, this is going to be the one. Not because I knew anything or no, being <laughs> no sixteen to one, just because I did not want Virginia to see another Virginia game, and then watching them lose by two, like I'd be about they, they, twenty. Yeah, they lost by twenty. We got smacked, and I, I was watching. I'm like, this is, this is incredible. This is the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my life. But then for them to come back and win so many close games. Yeah. Uh, I think this tournament has been very good because there have been so many close games. Not this is Usually uh, a fun tournament is punctuated by, you know, big names, big, big programs, and, um, and, upsets. and upsets. Yeah. But this one has just been like buzzer beetle nail biters, you know. Yeah. From top to finish. And Duke almost went out a few times and I finally got to a Virginia getting back to it. And getting to this point. Um, in the national championship game, and you know, you know, talking head types on the ESPN, we'll talk about ratings and all these other things. Like, of course, it's going to be less. It's two smaller programs for the first time. Texas Tech and Virginia are in big schools, are in big, big media bases for any sport really. Besides, they just if I think I saw Patrick Mahomes more than I saw Hunter, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just how that's how, that's how sports broadcasting is. But I think that is very emblematic about winning. Uh, about how they won is because I know, I, I, truth be told, I was not watching that game. But I, I started watching when uh, the national title, when I saw on Twitter about, we got a game here. Yeah. It's, it wasn't it wasn't 35-32 at <laughs> halftime. Like, yeah. It wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't, you know, my favorite national title game, which was Butler versus uh, UConn. You know, mm. that blazer. Jesus but, Christ. <laughs> that was the one <laughs> Oh Jesus! I remember watching that when they scored a bucket. It felt like it felt like someone took like a weight off my shoulder. It was the most. Yeah, when someone got a five point lead, you were like, "Oh, this is insurmountable." Oh, this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Two buckets? Nah, it ain't happening. Butler's so, done. Uh, I think uh, that's and that's how I really feel about that. Just like having to come back, having to be in overtime with all the with all of the last minute last minute wins, and it's a very good story about a team that was disliked, mocked, and then really overcame for against another program that was doing the same thing. Yeah, and I think I like that you mentioned that uh 
Virginia was in some very entertaining games for a team that people get saying were boring. It was nothing boring about them versus Purdue or or the Auburn game or that Texas Tech game. Uh, they played extremely close, extremely exciting games. And I think that kind of makes it great that, that they won the title, too, on that note. Like, we don't look at this title and say, oh, they, they kind of just squeezed, the, squeezed the, the juice out of a bunch of teams and, you know, squeezed, you know, squeezed the time out and that was it. Like, no, they had to win those games. They needed a miraculous play against Purdue. Um, they need some miraculous stuff to happen against Auburn. And and they went to overtime. They need miraculous stuff against Texas Tech. I, I, I mean, again, I don't want to bang on Culver. Because uh, I, I do like him, and I think he will be a good pro. But I don't know how he, Jerome, you're up by three, Jerome's driving to the paint, and you leave Hunter in the corner for a three. I mean, that's just, there's no help defensive situation in the last 30 seconds of a game where you're leaving a guy wide open in the corner for a layup, uh, for 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 a guy who's going for a layup. I, I, and he said he made the mistake, and, and, he, and he did. You know, he owned up to it. But, I, I mean, those, those plays lose you not championship games, you know? And... And, and 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 to see them, Virginia have to make play after play to kind of keep themselves in it. I couldn't believe Texas Tech was up by the time to point a.m. I can't believe Texas Tech is like one stop away from winning a national title because they had to just scratch and claw and do everything they could to just stay in that game. And you know that's that's what I love about basketball. Um, it's a game of inches, a game of you know mental errors, and, and whoever makes. The least amount of errors and makes more plays are the ones who come out on top. Virginia did it all tournament. They're a very worthy champion. Uh, okay, we're going to wrap the show here. Of course, we don't have a Kendall's Court, but I will wrap the show with uh, an EJ's Who's Flame and Who's Trash segment. And Torres will weigh in on my pick. So, Who's Flames, Torres. Of course, I'm going with uh, D. Wade and, and Dirk Whiskey, Two guys who I thought were sent off uh, in just really unbelievable fashion. It's rare, it's becoming more rare in the NBA that we get to kind of see these like, you know, fairy tale, long farewell tours for the greats. A lot of times because guys probably hang on too long and they don't end up being able to play on the same team they started with, and they end up kind of just being like a role player chasing a ring. You know, it's always a really weird scenario, so we don't really ever get a full farewell tour. But seeing the whole season, uh, Dirk and and Dwayne be so embraced by the entire league by fans in every arena and and to see their last games at home wade in miami that scene was incredible uh me of course loving dirt and whiskey loving uh his time with the dallas mavericks and roof with the dallas mavericks all those years seeing uh that emotional uh retirement speech at his home when he scored 30 points i'm sorry towards i i didn't think that dirt could score 13 points at this point in his career that's how uh washed up he looked and I say that with all due respect because I love Dirkin Whiskey, but he just, it was clear that it was over. And for him to even put on that kind of performance in his last game at home and to have that retirement speech was uh, really dope. So uh, those guys are flames forever. Their Hall of Fame, though, uh, we could talk about the Hall of Fame and how any, anybody's Hall of Fame nowadays. But those guys, without question, are Hall of Fame uh, in every stretch of the other of the word, and um, and we're gonna be missing. We're gonna miss them, man. They're they're absolutely gonna be missed. Uh, two class acts, and send them off uh, to their retirement. Well deserved. Two incredible and, players. You know, talking about talking about the the pageantry that went into it, the jersey swaps and the mm. the new videos, and I think as much as we could be cynical about these things and 
We saw. I, I felt this way about Kobe's tour, just have, and the reason he he was making thirty million dollars during it, and what that looks like. And at the same time, it's a great way to it, to to remind us that basketball is is a sport. It is entertainment. It is culture. It is family. It is history. It is pageantry. It's excellence. It's everything that that we love about the sport kind of comes out in these moments when we see these legends walk away, especially champions who have some incredible moments. And see, the fact that Dirk and Wade, uh, I want to say graduate, graduate into retirement uh, the same year, especially for those careers who were intertwined in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and represented many, like, they were not similar players, but they hit so many different aspects of what makes basketball great you know dirk transforming the game um leading to a three-point revolution being a european player yes uh, being a skilled big man being one of the big, biggest underdog champions in history but also being suffering one of the worst uh upsets some of the worst upsets in history and being a foul some of the greatest league scandals d wade being a guy who worked himself from Marquette to superstardom yeah. at such a young age was such a leader of men that he got Shaq to come to him, LeBron to come to him. Yeah. Working with Pat Riley and, and Spolstra and the, the bond that he's built in the city of Miami, which is not a sports town. No. And to see the way that he's adored and loved, um, the cha- the kind of play he has as a two guard that was like what like who played with such ferocity and, you know, he shot a lot of free throws. He blocked a lot of shots for a two guard, which was incredible. Um, being a part of the 06 team, which came out of nowhere, carrying bad teams on his back for so long, being part of the big three and what that meant to basketball on the heatles. And it's just, it hits so many stri- so many parts of your basketball soul. So like, uh, you know, as a guy who's er, who's owned birth, uh, birth, both a Dirk Nowitzki jersey and a Dwayne Wade jersey, it really recalls like what what those guys mean to me, and they're very different, different positions, different come from different places, um, and how it, they intertwine with so many legends. You you know you had the the banana boat crew at that last game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had um, Steve Nash talking about Dirk. You know, um, you have all these people pouring out. KG talking about what what Dirk meant to him as a big man. You have KP and Luca talking about what it means to to see a European player and, and what that meant to the game and for the skill that they brought in. Um, and that has that that has been done so well and so tastefully. I, I wish we could see that more often. Um, well said. I mean, everything. And I think even their careers intertwine with the finals. I mean, they probably had two of the most compelling NBA finals of that six to eight year window. Um, and and it's kind of crazy how those finals played out. The first one with Wade rising up in a way that nobody thought he could uh, and Dirk faltering. And then come back years later, Dirk as the underdog rising his team up against the Wade's apparently juggernaut team that uh, fell apart mostly due to really LeBron, not Wade, but still just how those roles reversed. I mean, these guys will definitely be, their stories will kind of be linked for the rest of their careers, and it's fitting that they retire at the, end of the, uh, at the, end of the same season. So, 
big shout out, big shout out to those guys. And um, my trash this week, Torres, is on only non-basketball subject this week. Uh, I got to go with Antonio Brown. Um, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I tr- I've tried to give... Oh, no, I, I can't lie. I'm not going to say I've tried to give AB every benefit of the doubt. But I try to at least understand some of where he's been coming from with a lot of this stuff since he's been upset with Pittsburgh. And I don't think all of it is completely nonsense in terms of his frustrations with that franchise. But his shots at uh, at, at Juju Smith-Schuster this week were as embarrassing of a display as I've ever seen from a superstar elite athlete. Uh, if you are not follow the story, of course, Juju and, and Brown played together with the Cleveland, with the, with the, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, I guess some, uh, some guy on the internet who was, I guess, trolling AB kind of posted that, oh, look, you know, the team MVP this year was named uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. And instead of uh, taking the high road as any, most normal athletes would, AB, of course, because, he can't help himself. Uh, decided to take, I thought, were ridiculous pot shots at Juju. Talking about how, oh, that boy, you know, he, he fumbled away the season. So, so much for an MVP. And and it going on, and, and Juju was like, dude, like, all I did was show you love, and now you are trying to diss me? I mean, he, he didn't even, he didn't ever say anything bad about him the whole year during while AB was nowhere to be found in the last week of the season when AB made his trade demand when he was talking crazy about the whole organization. Juju had pretty much stood by him the whole time. And then AB thought it would look good on his part to jump on Juju after Juju made his comment about how I don't understand why you're attacking me to then post a, 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 a screenshot T of Juju when he was in college at USC DMing AB to say, hey, I'm Juju Smith-Schuster. I play for USC. I'm a big fan of yours, and that, and I think you know I'm hoping that maybe someday you could teach me some tips, and I get some pointers on how to be a better receiver. I don't know what an AB's mind thought that that would make Juju Smith Juju Smith Schuster look lame or look bad, but like it only further made the point clear that Juju has always bigged up AB and always had respect for him, and to be treated as and clown the way AB tried to do him this week. I mean, ugh, I, I couldn't believe it. And and I don't have to be outraged and say that my outrage is out, is, is is unfair or uncalled for because the other NFL players called him out. The safety in Texas said he can't wait to knock AB's head off because of this nonsense. Eric Weddle tweeted that, yo, dude, this ain't it, fam. Like, I I, I don't know. I, I, I've tried to understand AB, but it's, it's getting harder and harder where... I don't know if he's just leaned into the fact that he wants to be the villain, but I just thought what he was doing this week was lame. I, 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 he's trash, absolute trash this week. Um, Ant- Antonio Brown is like football's clown emoji. I think he just wants to be do whatever he can to get in front of a camera. He's one of the greatest receivers of all time. I don't, but I think he wants the superstardom that goes with it, and everything that's followed him this year from. Like, just the, the fact that, you know, he had that whole fallout with the Steelers. And then, of course, it's revealed that he's, I think it was on The Masked Singer or something like that. I'm like, oh, of course. It's, it's something <laughs> stupid. There's always something stupid with this guy. And with this, I think it's it gets the heart of what his issue is. He just wants to be, he wants to be the only one. He wants to soak up every 
last ray of adoration, but not earn it. Because mm. Juju Smith-Schuster was chose that. Like he's not. I don't think he'll ever be as good as Antonio Brown. But you're the MVP by what you provide to the team. The team felt that way, that because of how he acted as a leader and as a, as someone who showed maturity and focusing purely on football. That's not what AB did, ever. This it was always about him, in a way that didn't make anyone else better. It didn't make him better. It just makes it puts more attention on him. And you know, people more people are rooted for you to fail now, because of this clownish behavior. As a as a what. He said, was he like a sophomore at USC? So he was like 19 years yeah, old. Yeah, he's a teenager. Like, uh, I'm I'm sure there's been so many people that reach out to the people that they respect. Maybe even idolize in a way. And to use that is to be like, oh, look at this clown. Look how lame he is. It's like, it doesn't do anything. No one feels that way. No one's going to agree with you about that because, you know, he was 19 trying to get better. And then he ends up on your team. And throughout this whole rigmarole with the with the Steelers this year, in between uh, in between Big Ben and issues with the coach and, and Le'Veon Bell, Juju has done his job. Yeah, he's done his job, and he, I think it's I think it shows not just how petty he is, but how insecure he is. Yeah, Juju is maybe eighty five percent of the player AB is maybe eighty, but he knows that he's more respected. He knows he's more liked. So he's going to find any way to try to chop this man down on the way out for no reason. And even when he left before this, like, I think he was very professional about what AB, about him leaving. Yeah. Yeah, he was very deferential. You know, he probably didn't like it, he was, but he was like, you know what? He's doing what he's got to do, but I got to focus on who's on my team. And that's it. That's true. And uh, it's just, you know, again, you talk about trash, uh, trash, and for, for for me, AB is trash emoji and clown emoji. He's just so disrespectful, and he's getting to like trying to be the cool kid on campus instead of doing the work, and you have to do the work. Yeah, I mean, he's like the bully. He's like the schoolyard bully. Like he's like the dude that you hated at high school. Like I, I don't know. I, and you know, to me, like I look at him and and I kind of. It's ironic because those guys were on the same show, but I kind of combined him with Antonio and uh, with uh, with Anthony Davis wearing a freaking uh, what's that's all folks shirt in your last game in New Orleans. Like, what are these guys doing? What, like, I don't. Do it for the, bro, for the memes. It, it's just it's 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 gotten out of control, and it's gotten out of control with AB for sure. Even Anthony Davis, I was disappointed, and then you're like, oh my. People just put out clothes for me. And I put them on. I'm like, oh, that makes you look like a, like your own like, man. <laughs> yeah, like you, you're in control of your own destiny. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, it was a lot of, it was some awesome stuff in sports, especially with Virginia and all the stuff in the NBA. But that AB thing, man, that really, I just, I couldn't believe it. Um, that's a good place to wrap the show, guys. So uh, I gotta give a big shout out to my man Torres for jumping on. I really appreciate it, dude. Uh, we gotta do this again. You'll be on sun, uh, Sunday. Uh, any 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 thoughts on what people can expect from the Throne Tales podcast? I just as I as I say, and it's uh, something emblazoned on the shirt that I'll be wearing that night. It's just I aim for Sunday to drink and know things. <laughs> that's that's all I've ever wanted from Thrones to be able to sit back and 
drinking everything. Might have a beverage myself. And I am so incredibly excited for the season, especially for a year and a half off, you know, especially coming back to Throne Tales, kicking yeah. in with y'all. Um, you know, I've been I've been absorbing all this Thrones content every waking moment. If it was watching the Lutrian battle or going through obscure things, like, who's Joris Morant and why did he get executed again? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, that was actually what I watched before coming on the play. He got executed for insubordination by by uh, Jon Snow at the Night's Watch. But, you know, that's not. we'll talk more about that on Sunday. And um, getting to the end of it, Night King, everything, everything that we've been talking about for years, E, everything that every fan theory i know um you know my brother is is our maester yes. in our group just by being i'm sure he's probably read the books in the last week again just because he can um i'm just excited to see how this resolves um you know hot take hot take about i don't i think the i think the night king ends up on the throne but we'll talk more about that maybe yeah. i'm wrong um you guys got to check out the Throne Tales podcast if you listen to Game of Thrones. Um, I love it because it's very much unlike any other podcast we do. It is what I call controlled chaos. It is at least five, sometimes six people on at once. Um, it's taped right after Game of Thrones. So there's not a whole bunch of, oh, we got like days to prepare. Like It's very much like, we just saw this. What the hell do we think? So it's... Um, a lot of fun, very different from the other shows. Definitely check it out. We're back after a year of half uh, hiatus, like Tara just said, um, where we'll be recording this Sunday night. So um, it'll be up Sunday night, maybe Monday morning, midnight, wherever it is. But uh, definitely want to check that out. It's a really fun show. Um, thank you, Torres, again for joining this show. Thank you guys for listening in to the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. We're on every week. Um, uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher on the uh, New Generation Podcast Network. Um, also, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Uh, we've gotten a great surge in, in support in recent weeks. Uh, last I checked, we were up to 251 subscribers, which is um, really awesome. Uh, I think we started the year with like 150, so we're, we've already, we're on, well on our way to beat last year's mark. Uh, so definitely subscribe to our channel. A lot of original content on there. There'll be more stuff coming up there as the weeks go on, especially get closer to the NFL draft. There'll be some football stuff. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, oh, follow us on uh, social media. So on Instagram, we're at New Generation Podcast. On Twitter, we're at New Generation Pod. And on Facebook, you can follow us. Uh, look for New Generation Media. And follow me on Twitter at EG underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action EJ. We'll see you guys next week. For Torres, I'm EJ. Peace.